0: Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. And this is one of the free public editions of The Painful Truth, so it's great to have everybody listening today, everyone on the list. And for something a little different this month for our free edition, I'm going to put out one of our Q&A chats. Uh, For those of you who are on the freebie list, this is something that I do regularly every month uh, at The Painful Truth, but usually it's a partner post or a subscriber-only post It's where I get in touch with a friend and we talk through a bunch of questions, often questions that have come up in recent weeks in response to painful posts, but just questions generally that we like to ask each other. And today, in this edition of the Q&A chat, I'm going to be talking with Marty Sweeney. Many of you may not know Marty, although some of you will have heard of Marty. He's the American or the US Director of Matthias Media over in the States. I first met Marty back in... 2005, he was one of many people actually at that time who had been contacting us from the States, asking if they could be involved in distributing Matthias Media resources more broadly over there. And most of those people who contacted us were just kind of book distributors who wanted another line in their warehouse. But Marty was a ministry guy. He was a Presbyterian minister. And he got in touch with us because the thinking and ministry philosophy and biblical theology kind of flavor that were behind them, were really quite revolutionary for him and had changed his life and his ministry. And he was very keen to see these resources go further in the continental US. And we got to know Marty a little. He came and visited us here in Australia. We talked with him at some length, and we realized that this was someone who wasn't just a commercial distributor. He was someone who really wanted to see the ministry goals that we had at Matthias Media extend and grow. And so Marty launched our United States office back in 2008 or nine, I think it was, and has made a great success of it and has succeeded in spreading not only the ideas behind ministry resources, but the resources themselves really broadly throughout the U.S. And he's become a great friend and collaborator over that time and is a very sharp and thoughtful thinker about how a biblical evangelical theology applies to ministry. And to disciple making, and in our conversations day, we range over a bunch of those kind of topics. Uh, some recent books that he's read, or that Matthias Media is about to put out, and that I've read. We talk about disciple making and about the work Marty's done in his own church, at old North Church in Canfield, to build a disciple making culture in that church over the last ten years or so. And we start our conversation in a kind of interesting place. Marty sort of takes over at the beginning and asks me how I'm going uh, after the death of my mother. As many of you know, mum died about five weeks, six weeks ago now. And this conversation was recorded not all that long after that. And that's where things kick off with a very kind inquiry from Marty about how things are happening here in the pain household
1: (laughs) well it is good to be here Uh, but let me before we get into it um, i know you um, have just got back you mentioned to the readers and listeners uh, that your mom has passed away and let me on behalf of all of us extend um, sympathy and uh, love and care and prayers to you and your whole family Um, it was greatly grateful to hear that your mom uh, died in the lord and that we have a hope um, and but i know you just got back from the funeral so you've got to be tired and ho- how are you
0: thanks marty i'm i'm uh, i am tired of course it's it's an emotionally difficult and extraordinary time saying goodbye to your mum. Mm. um so i'm sorrowing uh, and rejoicing as you say she was a great christian lady um and so i'm grieving as paul says in the thessalonians um, but but not as one who has no hope because she died in the hope of eternal life and she really was a great Christian lady um, and humanly speaking of course I'm only here because of her um, not just because she she bore me and raised me but she she planted the Christian seed in me very early and prayed for me for years and years and years and her teaching and her example um, are really why I'm I'm a Christian humanly speaking she had a great deal to do with um, me coming to know the Lord myself she uh, she was the one who suggested we jump on a bus in 1979 and, and go down and listen to Billy Graham at the, at the Randwick wow. Racecourse in Sydney. And uh, we went every night for several nights. And that was a really, that was a turning point for me in coming to understand the gospel. I never really properly understood the gospel um, until that time. So
1: Now, as a Baptist, I have to ask, is that the point you were converted? Sorry, I have to ask <laughs> that. To keep my ordination card. <laughs>
0: well, it must have been close. I, I certainly... I certainly was committed to Christ. I knew Christ was important at that point, and I knew that I had to live my life for Him. It's funny, you know how very often in um, in many evangelical circles, and and you know, I hate to say it, perhaps even some Baptist circles, Marty, <laughs> that it's it's common to accept Jesus as your saviour, um, but um, get around to accepting Him as your Lord at some some later point. With me, it was almost the other way around. I think I I knew that Jesus was the son of God and was king and was Lord and that I should obey him and that he was the most important person. But it had never, it hadn't really dawned on me yet that he'd, that the centrality of his lordship was, that it was a saving lordship, that he died for my sins. That hadn't really, I'd heard it, but it hadn't come home to me that that's the centre of it. So, And it was at that crusade that when, um, when he told the story of Manasseh, the most wicked king of of Israel, and and how God had forgiven even Manasseh, if God could forgive Manasseh, <laughs> God can forgive you. <laughs> Something like well,
1: that. Well forgive done. me. The
0: The that's a dreadful attempt at the accent. But he preached the gospel of the death of Christ, and that was the only way forgiveness could happen. And it all clicked into did click into place for me at that point. That aspect of it. So perhaps that's perhaps a moment of conversion for me. It's hard to say. I've, I felt that I was committed to Christ before then, but I didn't really understand the gospel before then. So who knows?
1: Well, praise God for your mom. Yeah. <laughs> praise God for Billy, big Billy. And um, <laughs> praise God. I thought for,
0: only Australians were able to say that. I thought, uh-huh, you, had to call, I thought you had to call him Dr. Graham.
1: Ah, uh, yes, I do. But I'm, you've called me an honorary Australian, so i uh, just living up to my title. Um, and, yeah.
0: I think the other thing most other people wouldn't re- realize is that Mum had a great gift for words and writing, and um, and perhaps you passed some of that on to me as well, you never know. Mm. Um, I did speak at a funeral about Faith, Hope and Love, that was the little series that I started doing recently as I've been reflecting on that, because that does summarize much of her life, and uh, there is a question that's come in about that, and this is a and a I, I get to ask you questions, and thank you for asking that first one, it's very kind of you. Um, but Simon has sent in a really interesting question about faith, hope, and love. Um, he says, "Do you think Paul gives different emphases, or if different emphasis or priority at different points to these three? To the Galatians, Simon writes, he emphasises faith, which works through love. Uh, to the Corinthians, he says, love is the greatest of the three. To the Colossians, interestingly, when he uses it there, he says their faith, or sorry, their love and he might be possibly saying their faith as well, is because of their hope. So he seems to say that hope is almost like the, almost as it's hope is the basis of the other two in Colossians, which is really interesting. Um, We know from Galatia and Corinth and their church scene why he might have prioritised faith or love in those contexts. But I'm still thinking about Colossians and why he stresses hope. Any comments? So any comments on all of that from you, Marty? What do you think?
1: Well, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this in a broader sense as it relates to training small group leaders on um, not only like handling the Bible, but reading the Bible, and a concept that I've been thinking about that's not in many of the training materials that I use, um, which are very helpful ones, is the idea under how to understand and, uh, and analyze, I-, I guess you would say, uh, rhetoric. Um, my good friend Robert Kinney, who runs the Charles Simeon Trust over here in the United States, turned me on to a book uh by George Kennedy, an academic, about rhetorical criticism in the New Testament. And of course it kind of floats high in the academic air. Uh it's too much for me. But one of the things that spurred me on uh to understand is indeed to to, to read the the New Testament as it was and intended to be read. I mean that's a very basic concept, isn't it? And when we take a phrase in First Corinthians um thirteen, uh, about the or the twelve, thirteen, um about the greatest of these is love. Of course, we know that's true, and Paul meant it, but in another sense, we know that it's a, he's using a little rhetoric there to emphasize the point that the Corinthians needed to hear. So um, when we have another place, a uh, spot like Galatians, um, that you seem to emphasize uh, faith, faith alone, um, justification by faith, then we would say that's really important as well. And so um, I think there's something that uh, Simon's onto in that sense of understanding that uh, the New Testament in each spot is written to not just in general abstract, but to specific people with specific issues. And once we take that into consideration and understand how basic language works, and this is where the rhetorical criticism was actually pretty helpful in this case, uh, we can appropriate it uh, appropriately, <laughs> I say it that way. Uh, to know that, yeah, I think Paul is actually making a point here, uh, and I, I'd have to go back and look at it in Colossians to say anything specific. But I think it's a fair thing to say that it, it's okay that in each of these cases, he's making the point that these are really important.
0: Hmm. He does. In, I'm just sort of thinking as we as you talk, he he does in Colossians, especially as the letter unfolds, he does emphasize the the glory and deity and fullness of Christ and his risen life, that that's all taken place. And as he gets into the second half of of the letter and he sort of moves on to say this is what genuine spirituality really is as opposed to the fake kind of ascetic, religious kind of um, spirituality of Chapter 2 that's captivating them and derailing them. He, he says in Chapter 3 that they're to fix their eyes on on their risen life and on the future that's coming and on what they will be when Christ is revealed and on the basis of that, of who they are in him, that their life is hidden with him and so on. They have been crucified and raised with him. Therefore, live your life now in light of that heavenly, what we'd say, eschatological future reality that's really theirs and is true for them. So I suppose I haven't really thought of it this way. So Simon's made me think think of it by raising the question, but he does point to that future hope that is now a reality that's theirs and says that should be that should be what drives your life now not these other things that are distracting you
1: yeah i think um i haven't finished the book but there's a book i think you've referenced here on the painful truth by a, a more college uh lecturer david uh I'll, i won't i'm not a sh- Honey. Honey, uh, yep Honey. uh and his book on this recent book uh on the last things he has a great chapter title called praying for the perfect in the middle and um, talking yeah. about the hope set of, uh, ahead of us, what will come, but then we pr- almost, and in one sense, pray it back in to the middle, where we're at now. Um, and that kind of binds those faith, hope, or hope, mm-hmm. faith, and love together. Uh, again, I haven't finished the book, but it's been really helpful just to spur me on in those kinds of thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's just a really good thought. Yeah. What, what else are you reading at the moment? I know you're a bit of a reader.
1: Uh, well, I, I, I don't. I don't actually enjoy reading, but I enjoy learning, and I need to learn. Boy, I need to (laughs) I need to learn. Um, Well, my fun bedside book is the letters between two American founding fathers, as we call them, called uh, Thomas Jefferson. You've probably heard of him, and our second president, John Adams, and they wrote, they corresponded the last fourteen years of their life. And wrote these exquisite letters back and forth, and I just find their their dialogue just amazing. As they analyze, uh, they one of their big topics was analyzing what true uh, Christianity is and where it's been corrupted. Uh, Of course, they would say we've corrupted it, but anyway, that's been a fun read. But on the more uh, overtly Christian side, uh, I just finished up last week a manuscript. Uh, Part of my role at Matthias Media uh, is to read. And be part of the content team, and i read i, I read uh, peter jensen uh, we don 't know what we 're going to call the book, but has a basically a a systematic theology and it 's called right now the Life of Faith, and I just was really encouraged by it i didn't have like so many of you over there had the opportunity to sit under peter 's teaching lecturing sermons, and so just to sit. For a week and sat be saturated, <laughs> saturate myself in the way he threads together doctrine. Boy, that was really good. So, Lord willing, that will be out sometime in 2022 with Matthias Media. Um, so, I've been enjoying that. And then uh, I finished also another book by our mutual friend Ian Carmichael uh, on the topic of busyness. And he put, uh, he did some talks at his local church, and he, we talked and we thought, you know what, this will be a really helpful book to help us understand what busyness is, and how we think about busyness in our life. And so, yeah, so those have been some books. And just today, actually, I started a new book that's just been released uh, by Matthias Media. It's one of the few I haven't read by Craig Hamilton, a follow-up book uh, to his really, really helpful book, Wisdom and Leadership. This one's called Wisdom and Leadership Development. Um, and that's that's been stimulating the first three chapters I've read, so looking forward to finishing that. But, Tony, let me just ask, turn it back on you. I do want to find out what you're reading. I have some questions for you on that. But as I think about wisdom and leadership development, I think about reading. I just have a kind of a, a live it's a case study uh, working with a young guy at our church who's superb, just a lovely man of God, striving hard to grow. And he's got a, a normal job that, that keeps him busy. He's just had his first child. Um, but one thing he said to me, he said, and, and he said, I'm not a reader. I hardly ever read. Um, and I do most of my learning through podcasts or documentaries. So I was just curious on you, uh, w- w- back to you and thinking, what do we, how much do we allow for that as training leaders? You're training um, young men and women to do ministry there. Um, how much do we allow for the, the kind of the new technology, the new way of people's lives? And how much do we insist on, say, like the old adage, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a reader, so what would you say about that
0: I think my first reaction Marty would be that the new technologies and uh, possibilities are enriching and are a bonus but that they can't really replace what happens and how you think and how you learn when you engage in long-form reading Um, and that's because of the way the way reading works the way It unfolds an argument. It can unfold an argument at some length and with some depth in a way that uh, a spoken podcast or a spoken word, it's much more difficult to. I think the best way to think about them is complementary in the way that word can be spelled, which mean, which means um, that they work together, that they help each other. Because if you think of it, that's the way our Christian life works a lot with respect to just Christian growth. We we listen to sermons and we listen to each other, and so you hear the word coming to you on the lips of other people. Um, but then there's time when you can, on your own, sit and read and reflect and chew over the material and chew over the word in a way that you can't in a conversation or you can't. Uh, in a documentary or listening to or watching a youtube clip or or whatever and so certainly with the people with the guys and girls that we're training at campus bible study and ministry we're trying to help them learn to be readers and to learn by reading um, not that reading is the i'm not a kind of a purist who thinks you know we've got to get back to books and get rid of these yeah. get rid of these ridiculous modern technologies it's nothing like that but but to uh, exclude reading, or to think that it can all be achieved without it, uh, I think, just leaves a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity lost for learning and growth. And I think the idea that reading is, we can't read anymore, or people don't know how to read anymore, it's a bit of a furphy. I think it's uh, you can learn to read and learn to learn through reading, as you can with anything. So,
1: yeah, you wrote a course a couple of years ago, a book course hybrid called uh, the generosity project and what's really interesting i did an experiment for myself um because i i didn't get a look at the course before it came out and i got it and there's video and then there there is the manuscript essentially the manuscripts of the video in the book and so what i did is i read through the book uh the script and i highlighted and noted uh what was what stuck out to me and the like and then I listened, and it's just interesting that how different things stuck out of me. Um, com- video compared to reading, and, and so I think there is like you're right; it's complementary. And um, you've got a course coming out uh, hopefully next year with Matthias Media on the new two ways to live, that we're kind of branding along the lines of this uh, this kind of thinking. It's called Learn Together, where we will provide both the script and video content for people to interact with. And I think there's something really healthy about interacting on both, as you say, and we wouldn't want to miss one for the other.
0: Yeah, I'm really hopeful that um, that the, this kind of format, which we've sort of been doing in various ways and dancing around over the many years at Matthias Media, we've looked at different resources and courses and programs and tried to help people to learn in different ways. But this format, which as you say, Generosity Project was kind of the prototype where we quite self-consciously blend together Bible discussion and interaction uh, and talking about case histories and illustrations. There's that conversational interactive inductive kind of process of, of working on the Bible together as well as listening to input and teaching and seeing and seeing a video of Bible teachers explaining things and of case histories and illustrations and also then reading as well as part of the whole learning process. I think it's quite rich and, and quite effective. And so far we've been really encouraged by the feedback on Generosity project and how, it's, how that's worked, because essentially it means that in a small group context, you can mix those things up together. You can obviously have the discussion, but you can you can read some of the text together and chew over it together and pause over a paragraph that's there in front of you and that you can read and reread and think about. Um, you can watch the video together, uh, you can read the text afterwards and yeah. consolidate it in your own mind or read it in advance or watch the video afterwards again if you want to. There's all these different ways in which by having multiple ways of learning together, you can learn together and help each other learn. So I'm quite excited about it as a, as a format. We're going to do a similar sort of thing with the Two Ways to Live material with that training and that's well advanced now. So the the first tranche of that, which is the learn learn the gospel part of it, to actually learn what the gospel is through Two Ways to Live. That's pretty much done in its content. We're just getting organized to do the videos now and so on. And the share the gospel side of the Two Ways to Live material, that is learning to actually, in conversation, chat through uh, the gospel and to have gospel conversations with people. As you well know, Marty, I'm rewriting and reworking the final draft at the moment. You keep asking me for when, when's the next chapter coming. <laughs> and um, I'm about halfway through the final pass of rewriting and reworking it all. So, yeah, both that's of those, great. God willing, will come out next year. Um, learn uh, the gospel early in the year, hopefully, and share the gospel a bit later.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, we're excited right. about that. And, yeah, there are only two ways to live. and uh but multiple ways to learn there we go there it's like that very nice yes um but you know just to have a a a playful part of this discussion you're talking about coming up with new ideas and the like and i've benefited greatly from your writing and resources just immensely over the years and probably would just make you turn me off if i start gushing over it so i'll stop there yes good thank you (laughs) but i i like to ask people um I always find this a fun question to ask. What is the book that's out there that you wish you would have written? I've heard authors say that. That's how they endorse a book. This is the book I wish I would have written. Uh, I'm curious what you would say.
0: <laughs> Actually I've got two books sitting on my desk here, Marty, that I kind of kind of wish I'd written. I don't must admit, I don't often think that personally. I don't genuinely think oh gee, I wish I'd written that.
1: Yeah, it's a bit um, of a self centered. Yeah. Well,
0: Yes, I'm so wonderful, I wish I'd written that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's more humble than that. Maybe it's saying, yeah, I wish I was clever enough to write that. One that I don't have on my desk, I've recently gotten into the uh, into the novels and short stories of Wendell Berry. Have you ever re- read any Wendell Berry, American no. author?
1: No.
0: Um, Christian sort of, certainly from a Christian worldview, I don't know if he'd exactly be the kind of evangelical we are, um, but his uh, short stories and novels are quite extraordinary. Hmm. And I read those and, and they're beautifully done, beautifully written. And um, I often read novels and kind of my shoulders sag. If, they, if they're so well done, I think, oh, man, what do I, why do I even try and write anything? This is so good. Um, and I, I think that sometimes I'm recently reading Wendell Berry. He does it so beautifully. <laughs> one, I've got two books here that, next to me. One is The Elements of Scoring... A master's guide to the art of scoring your best when you're not playing your best by Raymond Floyd, one of, one of the great golfers of the last 50 years. Now, <clears throat> I really wished I'd written that because that would mean I'd be as good a golfer as Raymond Floyd. So there we go. That's You that's have a much one. better
1: swing than him. That's how good of a golfer he was. He had this goofy swing. But it wasn't, it boy, didn't look great, did it? Man, he made it work, didn't he?
0: <laughs> he could score. That's the thing. doesn't yeah. matter how good your swing looks. He could actually score. Um, But seriously, the other book that's on my desk at the moment that I'm really enjoying, let's say I'm really enjoying it and learning from it and thinking, I'm so glad someone's written this. Um, It's David Seckham's book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, Jesus' Revolutionary Message. Have
1: you read that, Marty? I just read it with the apprentices at our church about three months ago and was just, I hadn't read a book for me. as par- paradigm changing for years. I mean, it's very similar to actually Gospel and Kingdom by Graham Goldsworthy. I read twenty mm, about twenty mm. years ago now. Never heard of him. Went to England. Someone gave me the book. Wow, my life changed. I I, I would say this is pretty close. I I had he helped me understand the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, um, and the gospel backdrop there. Yeah, it was just fantastic.
0: One of the things that I like about it a lot is that there's been a lot of debate recently about the gospel. In fact, in The Painful Truth, we've had a bunch of posts about what what is the gospel, where do apologetics and all sorts of other things fit in with the gospel. Um, and in particular, especially as I've been redoing Two Ways to Live and spending a lot of time in Two Ways to Live recently, I've been really convinced about the need to integrate the the death of christ the atoning propitiatory death of christ for our sins as a sacrifice for our sins by which we're forgiven and justified that central aspect of the cross of christ in the gospel with the resurrection of christ as the lord and king of all as the judge and the ruler who who now sits enthroned in heaven who now offers forgiveness, who will return in glory, etc., to whom we submit and repent as the Lord of all. So bringing those aspects together, it's been a constant debate, of course, over many, many years. How does how does the cross and the salvation of Christ relate to the kingdom and the glory of Christ as the Lord? And we've seen lots of attempts to do that and lots of people insisting that one side or the other is really the answer and the other side is less important. But what he succeeded in doing, I think, is... Is drawing those two things together in a way that does full justice to both.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it ties back to your—dare oh, I say—your conversion story from the beginning of our talk, right? The idea that you you understood Jesus as your Lord, which is not the norm, that you kind of you followed him as someone who had the right to direct your life, but you didn't trust him in the sense as your savior. Mm-hmm. And getting the gospel right, if we put it that way, I think we will at least alleviate some of that, that issue, uh, at least humanly speaking, where people might mishear that, yeah, you just put your trust in Jesus, so you get the free ticket to heaven, sins are forgiven, you're good. Um, or, yeah, you just, you be better person, you follow Jesus as Lord, and you'll get into heaven. and um,
0: Or yeah. more, or more... Um sharply these days, a lot of the alternatives that are put forward that want to emphasize the kingdom gospel or Jesus as the Lord and the resurrection and how that's the message of the kingdom, it becomes this kind of the cross sort of recedes into the background a bit. They criticize traditional evangelicalism for being too individualistic and making it just about the salvation of souls. And they go on about that and they say, really, it's about a whole new kingdom and a new creation and the restoration of all things. And before you know it, it's all about kind of the new world and the the renewal of the creation and all this kind of stuff and the idea that Jesus died on the cross for your sins has become a sort of a a footnote on page 27 and what secum does so well is avoid that he do, he doesn't fall into that trap at all the cross stays central but the resurrection and message of the of Jesus as the king who died on that cross and raised and is now is now the king who offers forgiveness through his death he ties those things together beautifully and um i really recommend it the gospel of the kingdom by mm. david second i was going to write a review at some point on the painful truth maybe i just did it maybe we just yeah. did that together marty but um <laughs> it, it's yeah. a really it's a book that's really worth reading
1: now tony um what anything anything else you're reading
0: what else am i reading i'm reading too many things marty i, I start things and then let me get are you reading carl bart by oh. any chance
1: you admitted to us in one of the more recent painful truths that you don't want to be that guy who's always <laughs> quoting Bart all the time. Now, so I went to a fairly liberal seminary where Bart was the arch conservative uh, in the in the hall. Wow! And so we, uh, the all the conservatives read Bart, and, uh, and the rest of it, the other side we read Boltman and, and and many and many others. Um, but so I've read my fair share of Bart over the years.
0: I am on a little mini spurt of Bart reading. But I haven't read him for years and years and years and years. read him when I was at college as well, back in the 90s, and and kind of, like most reformed evangelicals, enjoyed aspects of what he wrote and found it stimulating, but I found other things um, not so not so good and a bit infuriating at points. And just recently, yes, I have had a little spurt again. A friend of mine is a great Bart reader, and he put me onto a couple of obscure things that I'd never read of his, and I had have enjoyed... Just being stimulated by him again, I think I've just about done uh, in, on this on this little excursion. Um, the the latest little one I read was a a little short book he wrote called uh, "The Humanity of God," which kind of puts you slightly on 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 edge already. But the and it's it's so typical of Bart. The first chapter is all about is his summary of 19th century Protestant theology, uh, and it's just utterly brilliant in describing that their problem was essentially that they took the subject of theology to be man rather than god hmm. that what was important to understand in theology was was what theology did to us and how we experienced it and so starting with schleiermacher who was bart's great enemy yep. um and great Bolt bogeyman, man. down the um, Bolt man. Yep. <laughs> that it, Yeah. that it it was all really about our experience that we, didn't, we couldn't really know God himself. We could only really understand the human experience of the divine, and that's what theology was, an explication of our experience of God and the divine, whereas Barth insisted, very rightly, that the subject was God himself and that God crashed in from outside and revealed himself in Christ to us, and that's what was important, not what we thought. Um, so to him telling that story is is great and kind of, it did ring bells for me in terms of our current contemporary kind of experience and the tendency to privilege and prioritise the human and ourselves and even to try and come up with a gospel that starts with us and our desires and our questions uh, and to find a gospel that addresses us and our questions and build, almost build ourselves across from from who we are and what we aspire to as people towards God and how he answers our difficulty and so on. Mm. Uh, it's the same impulse, really.
1: That's what's great about reading historical theology, isn't it? That we yeah. we tend to get caught up in the, the trends and fads of theologically of the time. When I was in seminary, it was Trinitarianism. We had to rediscover Trinitarianism. And then I think maybe five, seven years ago, Union with Christ-ism. Um, but Bart was thoroughly Christocentric before it was trendy to be thoroughly Christocentric, and uh, for that I appreciate him.
0: Yeah, that's what's strong about it, isn't it? Um, but this little book is, is a classic in the sense that you then go on into the second chapter, and he, he's wanting to explore what theology and what God's action in Christ means for humanity. What does it mean for God to have kind of drawn humanity into himself by becoming man and by Jesus rising as a man? to be the Christ as the Son of God and still to be a man as the Son of God. What does that mean for God and humanity? And the hence the title, The Humanity of God. He's got an immense, it's a really stimulating, interesting chapter that then descends into kind of universalism by the end of the chapter. And you kind of think, yes. what's going on here? So it's very Bart in that sense. Stimulating gets you to think thoughts and rethink some verses and some ideas in a really stimulating way, but often then ends up somewhere you really don't want to go. So... Read with caution, I say.
1: There you go. So this, I'm putting you on an official four uh, podcast or newsletter diet. No more Bart. You got Thank four you. times. You're not allowed to mention him.
0: <laughs> okay, that's it. I'm done. I've had no. I've had my little dalliance, so, and I'll I'll come back to him in 15 years.
1: <laughs> so okay, we, we've listened to what you've been uh, reading. What have you been writing? I know one of the great things that you do for the Painful Truth subscribers is that you send. Uh, an update every six weeks or every few months about the things you're working on. I know even as kind of an, an insider in the sense, um, I, I enjoy and looking forward to those. So help us out. What, what are you working on um, now?
0: Well, the thing that I'm supposed to have finished already and sent to you, Marty, because you were going to read the draft when I've, when I've done it, was this Share the Gospel course. So the second two ways to live training material, uh, that's nearly done, but yeah, as you say, there's been a few events that have happened in my life recently, and it's been a, a busy few weeks. So I'm I'm a little behind, and so uh, that's the thing that I'm trying to finish. So that's that's at the top of my agenda uh, right now. Uh, one other thing that I'm doing just at the moment is I've been working with Philip to help him finish off his Holy Spirit book. He's been writing for several years now, and I've got a little bit more to do to help him with that over the next couple of weeks. But that's that project's nearly finished. Uh, And God willing, that'll also come out next year. I'm really excited about that, actually. It's, It's an extraordinary piece of work. And then for me, the next two things, I've always got a couple of things on the boil. The big project I want to start next is really the book that flows out of the PhD work I did several years ago about the ministry of the word that every Christian has, the word ministry of the Christian community or the one another speech of the Christian community and what that means and where it fits in and how it relates to preaching and why it's important. Uh, That's the kind of big project that's on my slate next that I'm really looking forward to diving into. I've kind of been trying to get to it for the last nine months uh, and other things have intervened, but it's going to start soon. So I'm pretty excited about getting stuck into that.
1: Yeah, we we look forward to Uh, getting some of the fruit of that. I think that's uh, the constant battle at any church, uh, trying to get to well up more people to speak the truth to one another naturally uh, and lovingly uh, in all times. And so, yeah, thank you for that work on that.
0: Marty, can I maybe round this off by turning it back to you? Thank you for sort of hijacking this Q&A and asking me so many questions. (laughs) It's... That's fine, it saved me doing the hard work uh, but i but I do want to ask you as we conclude, one of the things that's encouraged me in working with you over many years is the work that you're doing at old North church in in Canfield in Ohio as a kind of almost a laboratory um sorry, you would say laboratory um yes. <laughs> but I'll say laboratory of of discipleship ministry of this kind of trellis and vine word ministry and trying to see how you can make that work and grow just within a fairly everyday American evangelical church. Um, I mean, as you look back over these last many years doing that, it's been...
1: 10 years. 10 years. 10 years next week. Yes, indeed. That's,
0: that's great. As you look back over it, um, what have been the key things that you've learned or seen about trying to actually implement this kind of ministry philosophy in a church? So the one another, kind of ministry you're talking about training christians uh, getting all christians involved in the work of in the vine work together all those kinds of things i mean as you look back over you know 10 years now how have these principles kind of worked out in practice where you are what do you what do you reflect on
1: yeah thank you um and and god's been very kind that so many of the things i didn't know going in or probably didn't even know a few years ago but as i reflect back I am grateful to, to to learn a little bit, to gain some wisdom, um, and I think one of them. I heard Don Carson say this as a, as a teacher, professor. He says you until people get tired of hearing um, and get just roll their eyes at hearing what you say, you haven't said it enough. And you know, I think doing a one class, maybe a course of your life, or teaching someone along these ideas of the Charles and Vine, think okay, we we did the foundational, we did the first principles thing. Let's move on. And I realized, yes, you got to say again and again and again and again and again. I shouldn't be surprised by that. I'm a human, and God keeps saying the same things to me again and again and again and needs to keep going. Um, but that would be the one thing, is just to, to keep saying the same thing, maybe in the same ways, sometimes in different ways, uh, again and again. Uh, the other thing I would say is that the value, how important it is to have shared language to talk about these ideas Um, thinking about the really helpful tools that you've given us through the course of your life or the book The Thing Is or the Vine Project of moving people to the right or moving them towards maturity in Christ, thinking even the idea of talking about trellis and vine ministry, Um, having people understand the shorthand shared language uh, um, just has been much more important than I ever would have thought uh, 10 years ago. The other thing then, of course, uh, is to the idea that Christian ethics is not just personal, that Christian ethics, of course, is immensely important to emphasize my personal moral choices on a daily basis, but part of those personal moral choices is to speak the truth and love to people, is not to be fearful of man and to push towards raising the gospel with people, that, that what we were used to say is, you know, you teach them to be a good Christian, to live ethically, and then you later on train them to be a ministry. But that, that's, we've worked hard to try to not separate that, that kind of to classic break down distinction. That, yeah, 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 to yeah, break yeah. that down, right. And so to say that Christ, uh, the ethical response to, to being a Christian is to make disciples. And to go back to my first point, to say that again and again and again. And then the last thing, to round off this, um, was, is actually to, to do, this sounds a bit, I'll say it, to hold their hand more, to help them uh, implement, execute, uh, demonstrate, however you want to say it. Because we tend to think, or at least I tend to think, if I get the, the message right, I have the good shared language, we've said it creatively, memorably, they'll go and do it. Um, and that's not often the case. Even the best of us, and I put myself in that camp, not in the best, I'm certainly not the best, but that people who really get it still need help to say, hey, uh, Bo, why don't you go over there? There's a newcomer. Would you mind following him up? Very Something as simple as that, even though we've run Six Steps to Loving Your Church, and they should know that, and they do know that, we need to help hold their hand and say, go follow this person up, or could you follow up this person who's really struggling during just season of life? Or how about, could you write some note cards with your favorite Bible passage and send to 10 people over the next few months? Things like that. I just have underestimated how much we need to do that. So those all kind of fit together, but those would be the four four key things I'd say.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful, Marty. It's, it's funny, isn't it, that you're saying that we need each other, like we need to hold someone's hand we need to remind each other to do the thing that we've already learned and know to do 47 times that this is what we should be doing and yet strangely we don't do it and we need one another to keep reminding and encouraging and exhorting each other to love other people yeah in the gospel that's the book really i want to write at some point that's the one another speech book it's it's really the essence of it that god's given us each other because the word comes to us from outside, from other people, comes to us on the lips of other people, and we need that word constantly because our hearts are weak and they wander and we forget and we become inward-looking. And it's really helpful to hear you talk about, describe that as kind of walking alongside someone and just reminding them, hey, there's a person over there who you could, oh, yeah, so I, yeah I should have thought of that. Why didn't I think of that? But we don't think of that. It's, it's why we need each other, why we encourage each other. It's, it's back and, full
1: circle, right, to the faith, hope, and love. It's, it's the ministry of walking by faith and not by sight, of training each other and encouraging and exemplifying love towards one another because of the hope that we have uh, ahead of us. And it's bringing those things all together. Yeah. Thanks,
0: Marty. Look, it's been great to speak the truth in love with you today and be reminded <laughs> of lots of great things. Thanks a lot for having this conversation today. It's been great. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marty Sweeney about books and ministry and disciple making and about faith, love and hope. And in fact, next week on The Painful Truth, we'll continue and hopefully, God willing, conclude that series on faith, love and hope. We'll be looking at the final one of of that triad, hope. If you'd like to join in and listen or read that final part of the series, you'll need to become a partner or subscriber. It's one of the partner or subscriber only posts next week. To do that, though, there is an easy and very cheap way to do that. You can join up with the 60-day free trial so that you don't really have to commit all that strongly to remaining a subscriber. You can join up, have a listen, see if you like receiving The Painful Truth every week, uh, either as audio or as a newsletter. And you can make up your mind whether you want to keep doing that. Just head on over to The Painful Truth website. That's thepainfultruth.online and you can sign up there for this free 60-day trial. Well, that's about it for the painful truth for this week. Thanks for being with me. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.